We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com, use the promo code BIGBLUE for a refreshing beverage ahead of Halloween season. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. Tonight, we've got a mailbag show coming your way. Earlier this week, we broke down the offensive game film, took a look into some of the things Daniel Jones has done to progress as a quarterback within the system, among other things on the offense. You go to our YouTube page, you can literally watch the film with us. Did the same thing for the defensive side of the ball with Dexter Lawrence and other players standing out. Later this week, a little preview of the Jaguars game. Um, might be before you hear this, depending on if you're listening or watching. This mailbag will hit YouTube before it hits podcast form. We like to do the mailbag last for the week. Let it sink in over the weekend. Some nice listening for the weekend. More 30,000-foot view thoughts on the Giants. So, Nick, without further ado, let's dive right into this bad boy. We'll start with a question from Derek Bentley, who asks, What do you guys think Kayvon Thibodeau's ceiling is after the sample size you've seen so far? I think Kayvon Thibodeau has a high ceiling, Dan. I, I think he's still progressing. I think he could still add more moves, inside counter moves and things like that to his pass rushing arsenal. I think he's doing a good job leveraging his burst, his explosiveness off the snap to win high side. Does a good job with his inside hand to chop the outside arm of offensive tackles and then does an excellent job getting that outside hand underneath or that inside hand underneath whichever direction he is going in to basically land the rip move to get the tackle off balanced. And I still, like I said, think there's room to grow. I think as a run defender, he's been, I would say, solid overall. There are times where he gets caught out of position. But overall, I think he has displayed everything that we wanted to see from a player like Kayvon Thibodeau, a top 10 pick, somebody who was injured earlier in the season, steps in, and I feel like now he's hitting the ground running and we should only see development here on out. And I think the ceiling is high. Yeah, I also think the ceiling is high. I think, look... The first step, that initial first step that Thibodeau has, that's his defining trait, and it will be. But there are some things that I've already seen on film in this small sample size that stand out to me as good, positive developments as far as evaluating his future. One, power. I feel like he's been more powerful at the point of contact within getting off of these blocks than I thought he would be. Also, the hand usage. The hand usage is further along than not only I expected, but it should be, I think, for a rookie at this time. But most importantly for me, he's had some really good football-savvy plays, some high-IQ football plays. We talked about the one last week where he kind of uh, you know, takes a step down, forces Lamar Jackson to go outside or, I believe, hand the ball off. Then he 
he takes the runner outside by taking the step and and walling him back inside and then makes the tackle on his own. We talked about that on last night's film. That's a great high IQ play. He's had a multiple high IQ plays and they've used him a few times now, Nick, to drop in coverage. And I feel like he's been pretty fluid and looked pretty fast and quick doing that. He hasn't had a big play yet in coverage, but I feel like he's going to get his hand on a ball very soon and make a play there. where People are going to be like, damn, we got a guy who can rush the passer. And if we need him to drop in coverage. So ceiling remains high for me. Uh, I, it's pretty on par with where I, I thought going into the draft or sorry, coming out of the draft. We got to say it's exciting too, because Zizo Jolari was somebody we really liked. The Giants ended up getting him in the second round, and I felt like early in the season we started seeing those glimpses of Azizo Jolari. Unfortunately, right now he is injured. But think about when Azizo Jolari comes back and he's healthy, and then you have Aziz on one side, Cave on another, with Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams occupying the middle. We brought this up a couple podcasts ago, but this defensive line could be really real and really scary, and it could force offenses to really be in a predicament whenever they have to scheme against them. Yep. All right, Jake Andrews asked, do you think it's still possible to win a Super Bowl with a game manager system type quarterback? Or do you need someone more dynamic? Do you thinking it might be, he says, I'm thinking it might be worth it to build around a solid but not great quarterback and invest the money a star quarterback will cost on increasing depth elsewhere? I think having a star quarterback enhances your chance. That just isn't necessarily a total novel idea, but I still think you can win with somebody who is a game manager. You just need so many things to kind of break your way and you need that said game manager to not kill you and not make mistakes and just keep the offense within rhythm and keep the offense from really imploding upon itself. And what is a game manager? There are quarterbacks who have led teams to to Super Bowls in the past off the backs of good defenses and things like that. Yes, you need Josh Allen, you need Patrick Mahomes, and those guys are going to help, but you can defeat those quarterbacks, but you just need really good coaching, really good preparation, the defense to play to their potential, and then the quarterback not to kill you while also making plays. But does that make him a game manager if he is making said plays? Like, I don't really know. Is he Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes? Obviously not, but there's that's there's still gray room between those two things. Sure. And I think it's possible to win a Super Bowl with a system quarterback game manager type. We've seen it. Nick Foles. We've seen it with several quarterbacks over the years. It's just not likely. And or I guess it's not it's not easy to be consistent Super Bowl winner. And why is that? Well, there really isn't a market that dictates it. So, for example, there's not like these clear drop offs with you got the Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. And then you got like, let's say the Jared Goff and the Derek Carrs. And then let's say maybe you want to put another quarterback tier under that. They don't really get paid very differently. That's the biggest problem here. There's no such thing as, oh, we know this guy's kind of mediocre system game manager type. So we'll pay him a certain amount and we'll be able to move forward with that, like you said, and then spend that money elsewhere. No, no, no. That's not how it works. Look at the contract Jared Goff got. Look at the contract Ryan Tannehill got. Look at the contract Kirk Cousins got. Look at the contract uh, Derek Carr got. And the Carr one's probably the last one because they can get out of that. But you got to pay these guys. And it's not like there is like this gray or this like extra incentive to settling in on one of these players because ultimately you don't save much like you may save a little bit if anything but that wasn't the case with Jared Goff when he got his new deal it was like top of the market Ryan Tannehill got an absolutely absurd deal as well and now they're Andy like, Dalton Colin Kaepernick right. back in the day both well, there is no such thing really as a quarterback market that's the problem with this plan so that's why people say when you got to pay the when you pay the quarterback you really don't want to be you, you you're hoping and it's hard you're hoping to get one of these top five guys who can be top five consistently year after year, because otherwise you settle into that Raiders, Titans, Vikings range where there's no money left on the cap because you didn't really save much to begin with this quarterback. And how far can he take you so far? That has been not very far for those three teams. 
Um, so, but isn't there wiggle room away from that? Like, I feel like the NFL hope. has le- has learned from the Jared Goff contract you and contracts hope, like that because yeah. the way it was, it w- like the agents were really influencing these players to accept these big deals or at least right. drive for these big deals, and the teams were always like kind of capitulating, like, okay, it's the time for a young quarterback to get paid to reset the quarterback market. And it's like everybody around the league is looking, hey, it's your turn to reset the market so the next guy can get paid even more and then it can keep progressing in that manner. It's somewhat similar to what Lamar Jackson is going through right now, albeit that situation is really odd because the Browns totally screwed up the entire NFL landscape in terms of paying quarterbacks by giving Deshaun Watson that deal. And I I can ensure that 31 owners are very, very, very pissed at Jimmy Haslam and the Browns right now. But I think with a quarterback like Daniel Jones, there's wiggle room there because there's not a huge demand or market for Daniel Jones, I think, around the NFL. I think his place is here in New York. And Daniel Jones, I don't think he's going to be like, okay, well, I want Deshaun Watson money. Like, I don't think that's right. going to happen. So how much are you willing to pay the quarterback like Daniel Jones, whose definite best place is right here in New York with Brian Dable? And I'm sure he's aware of that. So I think that's going to be the part of the conversation that, that we should bring up. He's not going to demand Patrick Mahomes or, or Josh Allen money unless the Giants go on a Super Bowl run and win it. Right. That's exactly right. And that's kind of what happened with Goff, right? I mean, he went on a Super Bowl run. I think they they won or lost that Super Bowl. I think they lost that Super Bowl, right, to the Patriots. Yeah, Jared Goff doesn't have a ring. Yeah, Right. They lost that Super Bowl to the Patriots. I don't know why I thought that. Um, and that's when he got his massive contract. So if they go on, so if they don't go on a Super Bowl in the Giants, they just make the playoffs, maybe lose first round, win a game, something like that. That's when maybe you get to the point where you can find some kind of happy medium with a Daniel Jones type. It's hard to say, but I do think that what Nick said is right. Teams are going to look at this whole body of work with Jones. They're not just going to be like, oh, my God, look at this 2021, uh, 2022 season where he had five, you know, where he's doing what he's doing out there. They're going to be like the whole body of work says there's an injury history here. We have to think about there were three years of bad play and then a breakout. Do I want to invest 35 million a year in this guy or 30 million a year in this guy or 25 million with a ton of guaranteed? And if that's no, the Giants have a lot of leverage. And this is not the Dave Gettleman era anymore. In the Dave Gettleman era, the Giants bid against themselves for a Kenny Galladay contract. They honored a Kyle Rudolph deal that made no sense once they learned of the Liz Frank injury. They re-signed a 30-year-old Logan Ryan with a ton of dead cap and, and pushed back a ton of dead cap because he was a quote-unquote leader. Um, and so this is, the, this is a new regime. They're not going to bid against themselves. So if the market doesn't dictate that Daniel Jones should get $25, 30000000 million a year, even if he does lead them to the playoffs or win a game in the playoffs, then I don't think the Giants will do that. I don't think they'll pay that. So there might be a happy medium. As far as your question goes, though, like Jake, like the long-term prospect of it, it's tough. I mean, look, some would argue the Giants never had an elite quarterback and they won two Super Bowls. People have said that with Eli Manning. Now, as far as Eli Manning goes, his best and biggest moments came in the playoffs, and he did play like an elite quarterback during the playoffs, specifically the 2011 run. So that's the difference. If Daniel Jones elevates his game to that elite level during the playoffs, like the 2011 Eli Manning version, then you could re-sign him and think, okay, well, maybe I, it doesn't matter. I don't need the, I don't need to worry about saving money. I don't need the elite quarterback because I have somebody who plays his best in those key spots. And so that's something obviously me and Nick or Nick and I will be looking for if the Giants do make the playoffs. And we're seeing a little bit of seeds of, of Daniel Jones. For sure in terms of the toughness and the respect that he has around this locker room. Like we saw it against Dallas. That's a loss right there. The only loss in the season for the Giants. But you saw how tough Daniel Jones was there. Let's look back at the 2011 NFC Championship game against San Francisco 49ers. What did Eli Manning show? Just incredible toughness. Now, you look at Daniel Jones, you look at Eli Manning, those two aren't necessarily comparable. Like Daniel Jones only has thrown for over 200 yards once this season so far with five wins under his belt. 
but he's still making the plays when he's being asked to. So I think the conversation around paying him at the end of this season is going to be a lot more nuanced because like we said, the market and all the other stuff that we've been talking about over the last five minutes. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Peter F asks, Aziz Ojolari really grew from a physical standpoint between years and one and two. What kind of growth do you think we'll see from Kayvon Thibodeau next off season? It's interesting. So Aziz Ojolari needed to grow because he was kind of getting flattened as a run defender. He was losing his, his containment quite a bit as an edge rusher. And that was an issue last year for him. It's not really happening with Kayvon Thibodeau. I don't see Kayvon Thibodeau as someone who is struggling to hold up at the point of attack. I don't really know if I want him to get more jacked and add more muscle and possibly compromise the burst and the explosiveness, which are, in my opinion, some of his key traits. It's interesting because, I mean, I think there is, I wouldn't say I want him to get like all jacked up or whatever, add a ton of weight to his body type, Nick, or to his frame. But like, have you seen the picture of him? Uh, like, I think when week one or, or he wasn't playing week one or two, the first one of the first weeks where he had like that, like um, that mink thing on that mink, like half, like vest. Oh, yes. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking. That was yeah. a weird look, man. It was it was whatever. He's his style. I don't care about that. But I think when you look at that body type, you think like there is definitely room for growth. Like it's not like he's completely six pack there, rocked up there, like from the abdomen up. So I still think he can really cut down and tone and get like more cut as a player. I wouldn't want him to put on more weight, though, from for, from that standpoint. So I still think there is room to kind of and look, he was in a college system at Oregon studying, going to school, doing other things. Now this is his job. And so I do think with time, especially with offseason training, when it's not like you have to prepare for the draft, go through the draft process on all that he can really form his body to where he wants it to be. And I don't, I don't think it's a complete, you know, I don't think his frame is, is as completed as he wants it to be as it stands. So I still think there is room for that. I agree with that. Yeah. In terms of trimming up a little bit, definitely. I was thinking about it in terms of Azizo Jolari, who added like 15 right. pounds of muscle Hulk. and looked like the Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't want that. I don't think from, from Thibodeau. I think you're right on that. Frank the Tank asks, hey guys, the Giants are predicted underdogs in their game against the Jags and expected to be against the Seahawks, granted away games. I get it. Thoughts on when this team will get some national respect? What will be the turning point if there is one? And if I could jump in here, Dan, and mm-hmm. give just my my initial impression of why they are underdogs. I saw ESPN had the Giants at like 26% to win. I think that is absolutely ridiculous against a team that is two and four. But I think Vegas is looking at this, and this is the first game of a road trip where after this game, they have to fly from freaking Florida back to New Jersey and then all the way to the Pacific Northwest to play Seattle. That's not just two road games. That is a lot of travel. That is some of the worst traveling you will have to do in the NFL, traveling from Florida all the way to the Pacific Northwest. And that coupled with the fact the Giants have only had one true road game, which was week one when they had a ton of preparation against Tennessee. I think that's one reason why we're seeing them not get the respect that they possibly deserve. Now, at the same time, a lot of these wins, I'm not saying they're fluky, but they're all very close. They're all very down to the wire. And I think the home field advantage has helped the New York Giants. Now, you can't say that with Green Bay. It definitely helped them against Baltimore and then Chicago and Carolina. Those teams, the Giants, I think we could say should beat, but at the time, we didn't necessarily think that. So I think one reason why Vegas is baking this in is because of the distance of travel with the next two games with the Jags and then the Seahawks. Yeah, that's fair. And I don't think this is necessarily like national respect issue, Frank, because this is not like the national media doesn't create the spreads. Vegas is creating these spreads based on where they think the money is going to go. So just a quick primer. Vegas does not predict the final score of the game when they create a spread. They predict where the money will come in. And their objective is to get the money to come on complete, come in completely even. 
they win if 50% of the bets are on one team, 50% is on the other because then they just win with the juice and with the VIG. So why would they think about favoring the Jacksonville Jaguars at home? Well, there are some thing, you know, there are some, like Nick said, that Giants have had close, close margin victories the entire season, right? No road games besides the week one game against the Titans and, 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 the, and the London game. And could it be a game they overlook? Are they a type of team that overlooks games? That's like, that happens in the NFL. I don't want to say the Giants are going to be that team this well coached. I personally don't think they will be. But from Vegas's standpoint, they certainly could be. So I think a lot of those factors played into this. As far as when will, they, when will be the turning point for them getting national respect, I'd say if they can go into their bye week and not lose a single game before that. So going to the bye week, what would that be? Seven and one? Is it two more games before the bye? I think it's this game and the next and the Detroit game. So if they can go to the bye week at seven and one, I think that's when you start to get the national uh, recognition. And I also want to say the Jacksonville Jags, for for all their faults and their inexperience, I think they have like 27 explosive plays of more than 20 yards already this season. They rank like fourth in the league in that metric. And the Giants just gave up so many explosive plays to freaking Kenyon Drake. And a lot of right. them were in the rushing attack. But you look at how Jacksonville uses their running backs, and it's not even just James Robinson or ETN. I mean, last week they used Jamichael Hasty, who ended mm -hmm. up scoring a long touchdown. I believe that was out of the backfield as a receiver. But man, they have a unique rushing attack. I, I shared a, a, a clip on Twitter of them incorporating a boundary run, I believe it was, with a trap and a wham block that totally cleared yeah. out that side of the line of scrimmage. And then it was just the safety who took a bad angle on ETN. The Giants need to really sure up their lateral rushing defense, which I think they can. And that's what we said against Dallas. I think there were specific reasons, as we detailed on the All-22 defense, as to why they struggled against the Baltimore Ravens. But I think the fact that Jacksonville's offense has created a lot of explosive plays and the, the Giants defense has allowed, at least recently, a, a solid amount is another thing that Vegas could be looking at as a reason to why the Jacksonville Jags may have a little bit of an edge. Yeah, and that's a great point. I saw that clip too. I think it was either Brandon Thorne or somebody else who was like, Doug Peterson has done a great job coaching because he's taken these running backs with vision issues like an ETN and put him in spots where he doesn't even have to make a vision. Uh, you know, he doesn't have to use his vision. He can just get right into space like you saw on that run, that wham trap run. So we'll see what happens there. We we know the Giants have struggled with schemed runs to the outside this season. They struggle against the Ravens with that. They struggle against the Cowboys with that. You can try to take it away with coaching, but ultimately, like we showed in a lot of these spots, it comes down to the linebackers helping each other out. Okay, um, you know, Jalen Smith and Tay Crowder. One of the two is going to be blocked. One of the other two has to make a play and help out his brother there. Um, you know, so far this season, we haven't seen a lot. We saw one really good game out of Tay Crowder, and that, and then one big hit against the Titans that got him a lot of fanfare. But ultimately, not besides that, not too much, not too many examples of him in my opinion, making those kinds of plays. Um, so we'll see if he can have a good game this week or maybe if they kind of phase him out because he wasn't playing as much last week in some spots that were unexpected. So I don't know. We'll have to see how it goes, but that's definitely going to be a way that the teams are going to attack the Giants moving forward. And I'm glad you brought that up too, Dan, because the linebacker play is one primary reason that, that I feel like Wink Martindale's putting a lot of stress on those second-level defenders to scrape over the top and, and get outside and fill. Right. And sometimes Tay Crowder is just getting picked off. The slight hesitation that he has really works against him. And I'm actually curious, too, if Landon Collins, if he does end up kind of getting dressed and acclimated to this defense, if he will eat into that snap share. I still think Tay Crowder is the linebacker and one on this team, even though Jalen Smith, I feel like, is making a, a really good push for that. But Give him a couple weeks, more mistakes. If if he's not in position more and more, I think that could change. Yeah, me too.
Okay, let's see. Baba Bowie asks, any chance you guys can do a quick bit on what you've seen from Evan Neal in the last two weeks? Watching live, it's felt like he started to be more comfortable. I haven't noticed anything brutal like I did from him the first weeks before that. Yeah, we brought it up on the All-22 Offensive show this week where there was more of a traditional passing game. I felt like he looked very comfortable, very smooth. He was taking vertical sets, patient with his hands, was playing much more balanced, his feet underneath him, not leaning at his chest over his toes all that often. So I feel like from a technique standpoint, he seemed a lot more comfortable. Need to see more consistency with that. In terms of the week prior against the Packers, it was it was still a, an offense where they didn't necessarily take too many drop back sets to where he would have been exposed in pass protection, but definitely encouraging this past week against Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. I think just from my, my vantage point, more issues in the run game in these last two weeks and even the past game, which you wouldn't expect, um, and not issues, just some examples of him off balance in the run game in the past game asked to do a lot more. Like Nick said, 12 vertical sets versus the five or 12 traditional pass sets versus yeah. the five from the week before. And was arguably even better. So I think there is trend, a potential for him trending up, but we won't really know until, like we've said in earlier, the Giants are forced to get out of their shell and go into more of like a traditional, uh-oh, we're down two scores, there's nine minutes left, we got to pass the ball. That's when we'll really get to see if that, if that you know, progress can hold up. And we haven't even really seen this offense. Even like this offense has several right. come from behind victory. This is kind of crazy to think about. I don't think we've really brought this up. Daniel Jones has like what three come from behind victories, like true come from behind victories down by like 10 points. I think it's four and the Giants total. If you include Carolina, right? Yeah. If you include Carolina, if you include Tennessee, where it was just like run, 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 boot, boot. But that's out. my like, point. You can kind of it, include that. They haven't abandoned the rushing attack. Right. Even last week, they didn't abandon the rushing attack yep. against the Baltimore Ravens. And luckily, the defense kind of, I don't want to say bailed them out in that area, but the defense really stepped up to give the Giants offense more opportunity to limit the score and then eventually take the score away from the Baltimore Ravens, the lead that is. So, and I, we haven't, I don't know how much of that is because they don't trust their passing game and they don't trust like the traditional passing game to kind of like screw things up or because they're just, cause I always feel like in these spots, Nick, like teams too often bail from their game plan. And when they, when they fall behind a couple scores and like, all right, we got to just go to the pass. Um, and I don't think the giants are that kind of team, but I wonder if that's mostly because they don't trust their ability to do that. And they're like, this is our only chance or because they just really feel confident in, and we don't need to rush through this thing. We can, we have enough time to make a comeback here. I think it's more so if there is one reason. I'm sure yeah. there are several reasons. I think it's more so just because they work the play action, roll out the play so action, well. boot, and yeah. just the play action game so well. And it's also Saquon Barkley in these situations where they're trying to stop him. He's ripping off four, five, sometimes 12-yard runs. So it's working still. It's not like he's getting stopped at the line of scrimmage. And then, like like we've said several times, the, the way this offensive coaching staff marries their rushing attack and their passing attack really puts the defense in a bind. And that's why we see so many of these crossing routes work. That's why we see so much of that play action boot and just the play action game in general work is because the defense thinks they are actually running the football. It's not just like, oh, yeah, we're running the play action, even though no one's yeah. selling it. The Giants are selling it very well. So I think yeah. that's another reason why. It's a great point. House yeah. of Shane asks, if you could only upgrade one or the other this offseason, would you rather upgrade cornerback or wide receiver? Um, it's tough. So, like, we'll just assume this doesn't mean pick a guy a certain point in the draft. You just get a, a clear upgrade, right? So one position needs to be upgraded over the other. I think, for me, it would be wide receiver, Nick. Just because I feel like an upgrade for me means you're going to get a lot of speed on the field. You're going to get 
a player who's better than anyone they currently have on their roster. So corner, at least I know I have a Dory Jackson. Receiver, maybe Wandell breaks out the rest of the season. Tony, who knows at this point, not much behind that that I feel like has any breakout potential. So clear upgrade-wise, I think the Giants are better off with a receiver upgrade. I think we got this question a couple mailbags ago, and I went with cornerback, and I think I'm going to stay with cornerback. And let's go over, like, if you could have, like, a Devonta Smith right now, who's a great wide receiver, or a Patrick Sertan right now, and I think the Giants are playing themselves out of the, even, like, the 10th pick at this point, but let's just say that theoretically, who would you go with? And I would go with uh, Sertan. Right, but Sertan, Sertan there too. Yeah. But he's elevated his game to such a level to where I don't even think those two guys are comparable, even That's though I love thing. Devonta yeah, Smith. Exactly. He's tr- He's truly like the number one cornerback, I think, in the league right now, Pat. Like, he's up there. Yeah, he's definitely up there right now this season. Um, so, and that's only year two for him. It's crazy. And um, I'm proud of the kid because we like them a lot on this podcast. Oh, yeah. But Rowan asks, hashtag Big Blue Banter, thank you. What contract are you giving Daniel Jones if the rest of the season replicates what we has gotten through the first six games? Assume we have a low mid twenties first round pick. I think fifty million over two years with the Giants being able to move on in year two. Yeah, I mean, look, we're getting to that point, Rowan, where Ron, where we can't do what we originally thought we might be able to do, like a two year thirty, a two year thirty five. We've probably moved already into that range of a two year fifty. But again, like, and I like the idea of you have that out in year two if it doesn't work out, like if he, if he doesn't make enough progress. But I just I feel like again we're. <sighs> I don't know what the market is for Jones. So I think Jones has played the best football of his career in weeks five and six, the two best games of his career, two, the best two game stretch. We're starting to see some really good things um, as far as what they're asking him to do, what he's operating and him not turning the ball over. Now, wh- who the question is, are people around the NFL or the third are the other 31 teams watching this and being like, I need to give Daniel Jones a $30 million a year contract. Cause if they're not, and I'm not sure they are, then you're bidding against yourself here because I don't know, you know, can the Giants play hardball with Daniel Jones? I don't see why not right now. I mean, I just don't know. It's so hard to tell Ron what what the market actually is for Jones. Should the Giants let him hit it and then come back to them and be like, okay, this is what I'm getting from other teams. This is my, you know, because if a team's going to make an investment in Daniel Jones offseason year five of his career for Jones, they're essentially saying, okay, first, first of all, it's going to be a team that needs a quarterback, right? and a team that doesn't have a quarterback signed under contract. So we could narrow down a lot of teams just through that. Then it's got to be a team that doesn't want to go the route of spending a first-round pick on a quarterback where they get the four- or five-year. You get the five-year rookie contract scale with the rookie option potential. So now you're asking a team to say, not only do I think Daniel Jones is better than the quarterback I could get early in this draft class, but I think he's $20 million a year better than that quarterback against my cap. So that narrows down a lot of teams as well. So then you look at the teams that are like competitive this year and have a retiring quarterback or competitive this year, but just don't have the good quarterback play to get them over the top. And again, like maybe that's like a Tampa Bay Bucks. That could be like if Brady retires, that could maybe be a team that would want to like outbid you for Daniel Jones. But it feels very narrow to me. It feels very unlikely to me that there's going to be this huge market for him. So I really think that, they got to be careful with this thing because they're still trying to build a roster around him. But the good news is, at least in my mind, they're getting very cap healthy. So even if they do, quote unquote, pay a little more than market than what the market would dictate for Jones, they're going to be able to kind of recover from that, especially if you outline it. Like you said, it's only a two year deal rather than like a long term deal. 
astute analysis, Dan. I agree with everything that you said. And I don't know if Daniel Jones has the cachet to, if it's a reasonable deal for him to really like hold out. Like his right. best option right now is to play in this system that is easily maximizing his skill set. And right. he might also be looking at this like, look, teams don't trust me around the league after the four previous years or three previous years in Jason Garrett's system and with Pat Shermer. So let me go with back with the Giants and have another good season if he maintains this level of play. Right. And then he can look for a contract because he's still a relatively young player. Sure. That's another good point. He might want to build his, you know, he build his resume for the rest of the league as well. But I think ultimately he wants to be a giant and it's just a matter of well, the Giants want him back, and as it's trending right now, you it seems like they will, which is which is great, man. Because we didn't we didn't exactly expect that going into this season. But we have a question here from Ramblin asks, "How come against Baltimore the Giants ran so often, both on first and second down, even after having little success? I understand setting up the play action or pass, but it caused too many punts. Do they still not trust the pass pro enough? Curious strategy. Anything on tape to explain it?" Well, first of all, Nick, it's Ramble On. I thought ah. you might know that one as a Led Zeppelin. Do you you like Led Zeppelin, right? Not really. I mean, like, I okay. don't really know much about him. I, I've okay. listened. Is that the is that the band that sings Black Dog? Yes. Do you, you hey, have hey, to ask mom, a question about you... who the... Oh, my God. I can't believe so you're going little, to little, little insight with me. All those bands from prior to my birth that are like of similar genre, I kind of blend them all in like the Pearl jams and the Led Zeppelins. And they might not even be that close. And I could get like chastised like crazy for this, but I kind of blend them all into like the same bucket. And I'm just like, yeah, if they're on, I'll listen to them, but I'm never like going to YouTube being like, yo, I got to listen to this song. <laughs> I like how you blended in Pearl jam and Led Zeppelin two bands from completely different eras and different <laughs> genres of music. So it's great. Just tell you that, yeah. I'm not a Pearl jam <laughs> fan. No offense. Anyone out there. I just, I don't understand the uh, Eddie Vedder. Does he does he walk up to people in real life, Eddie Vedder, and be like, "Hey, oh, nice to meet you. Oh, yeah, oh, it's very nice to meet you. Yeah. Like, I don't, is that the, the most exaggerated voice I've ever heard in rock? So I just and people say that about Led Zeppelin, but at least it doesn't. It's not like that. But anyway, that's my Eddie Vedder. Not great. It's in, but even flow. That's, that's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's Eddie Vedder. <laughs> And then he could listen back. to Jeremy where he's like, where he just has like a freak out at the end of that song. Like, uh, you know what I'm talking about if you've heard Jeremy. Just play it through and then wait till the end where he just starts like making noises. That's kind of the Eddie Vedder time. He just makes noises. Um, I don't think I know that song. <laughs> Was it Jeremy? Did you say? Yeah. Jeremy Spoken. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I've heard that song. I definitely heard that song. Like, I've heard this. Ramp <laughs> and now we're just doing Eddie Vedder impressions on the Big Blue Banter podcast. We've gone fully off the rails here. But to answer your question, Ramble on, let's get it back on track. I'll say this. It's their game plan, man. Like they want they want to stick with the run for a lot of reasons. They want to stick with the run to protect the pass game. Like you said right now, the pass protection. And I don't think it's necessarily a Daniel Jones thing or a receiver thing. I think mostly for them, it's a offensive line thing they don't feel that great about the interior protection right now in if they're asked to do it over and over and over again but also they want to get the ball in the hand of their best player and they're by far and away playmaker on this offense and that's Saquon Barkley so you can try to get him involved in the pass game but it's not as easy as it looks the run game is tried and true way to get him involved and he has proven at times that he can 
take you back in a game like he did against the Titans, running the ball almost every down of that comeback drive. Or he can break a big one like he's done in other games. So they want to get the ball in Barkley's hands and they want to be consistent with it. And they don't want to say, well, it's not working here. It's not working on this drive. Let's stop doing it. Because that's something Barkley said after the game. He's like, I give the coaches credit for sticking with the run because they know. And it didn't happen in this game, this last game, whatever. It didn't happen against the Ravens. But they know that at some point he can break a big play. And he does too. Yes. And another another reason why, like they, they typically use the rushing attack early in the game to feel out the defense a little bit. And they don't have too much success on those first two drives, or at least they haven't throughout the, the game so far. But on a couple of the drives in the second quarter and then into the third quarter, some of those were RPOs where Daniel Jones just decided to hand right. the football off because he was reading a defender. So there were run tag or there were pass tags within the play. It's just Jones decided to hand the football off and it didn't necessarily end up working out. So I think that's another thing we also have to kind of monitor. And then there was one drive too, where they attempted to come out a little bit more pass heavy and then Daniel Jones ends up getting sacked. So th there's that element of it as well. Yep. Okay. Michael Benoit asks, I see four needs next year's draft wide receiver corner inside linebacker center, which is the deepest and in what order would you prioritize them at the moment? I don't have the, which is the deepest right now. We don't start our in-depth draft coverage until around December. So circle back with us there, Michael Benoit. But in terms of prioritizing, I think, see, this is interesting, man. Cornerback and wide receiver, some would say are like the most important, but you can also look at the inside linebacker position and be like, yo, this team needs an upgrade at inside linebacker. So I kind of want to give that position, which is typically devalued around the NFL with some teams like the Eagles and teams like that. I want to give that position a little bit more, maybe credence. And then center, we've talked pretty extensively about how we want that upgrade at center. We want that Creed Humphrey to anchor this offensive line. So if I had to choose Dan, I really want another cornerback opposite of a Dory Jackson. Is Aaron Robinson that guy? I'm not, I'm still not ruling him out. He's just injured right. at this point. So does the cornerback kind of take a step back from that? And would you elevate the inside linebacker and center over that? Like, I don't really know if I would. So I might go cornerback wide receiver inside linebacker center, but it really just comes down to the prospects. All these prospects are obviously, they're not the same people and they don't have the same types of skill set. So I just really want the best players here. And that's probably the way that every team should look at it. Yeah, I, I, it's always about best player available for me too, within context, right? Like I don't want to be jamming positions that aren't that. I mean, there's context behind it all. A, you don't want to be jamming positions of not need or not of not need of of not important of less less importance, I should say. So you don't want to be jamming IDLs. You don't want to be jamming running backs. But for example, if they saw a quarterback who they felt had elite tools that they could groom, I wouldn't care if they drafted that personally even if they do resign daniel jones it's that's their prerogative that's this is a new staff and they got to make their decision on that but as far as these four positions go i'd actually go center first i think this team can benefit most from an upgrade at center over all these positions wide receiver corner inside backer so let's look at tyler linderbaum we just saw him right and mm -hmm. we saw how he did against dexter lawrence struggled a little bit in pass protection but watching him maneuver in space a player like that on this team that does run some creative power gap type of concepts. We've seen Mike Kafka call a ton of center pulls around the play side guard. I look at a player like Tyler Linderbaum and I'm like, dude, that, that kid probably would have fit in very well here in New York. Yeah. hundred percent. So even like guys who are a little bit more undersized, but fleet of foot, like the kid, the Eagles drafted out of Nebraska. And speaking of just to bring up the Eagle 
the Eagles in general, you brought up the quarterback and how you wouldn't be upset. That's what exactly what the Eagles did with Jalen Hurts. And look at them right. now. They had a guy in place, Carson Wentz, who they might not have been fully sold on, but they draft Jalen Hurts with what a top 50 pick. He was a second round pick. They bring right. him in. And a couple of years later, the Eagles are rolling undefeated. Yeah, exactly. So it's not, and you got, you could look to the Eagles for a lot of things that they've done well as a franchise. Um, Giants talk three, ask quick trade. Quick thoughts on trading for either a Mike Gusecki or Tremaine Edwins. Is that Edmonds is on the Bills, right? Yes. Now that you could rule that one out immediately. The Bills are not going to be trading any players in the Super while they're going for a Super Bowl. Um, Gusecki's a maybe if the Dolphins fall out of it. If not, then if not, then who have been rumored on the block or who would you guys be trading? Okay, trading for. You have the Panthers guys right now, but DJ Moore has that pretty exorbitant contract. I would like that Jeremy Chin here, even though the Giants have a lot of talent at the safety position. I still think he would fit in well, but I don't think the Giants should be trading necessarily some of the assets that I think Jeremy Chin would would require. I think there's probably a really good market for players like Brian Burns and Jeremy Chin, but the Carolina Panthers, who are in total implosion mode right now, that that's the team that you would probably want to look at to see if you can get get talented players from the talented young players who are on rookie deals. I don't necessarily have many other people though, Dan, in mind that I'm like, Oh, the giants right now, the way they are, who are still, I don't want to say a rebuilding team because they're five and one, but this is the first year of a, of a regime. And, and they are very particular on how they're going to build. I don't think they're going to expense their future to, to right. go and acquire someone like a DJ Moore. So I'm not necessarily looking at the situation like, Oh, the giants need to go out and, and get this guy. Even a guy like Mike Kosicki, I don't know what he would command, but I kind of like Daniel Bellinger and how Daniel J Bellinger is playing right now. And I don't want Mike Kosicki in here to, to be a big slot essentially, yeah. because he can't block at all. You need to be able to block in this system. And that's why you have guys like Chris Myrick who made the team and Daniel Bellinger, who's earning playing time, Tanner Hudson. He's an okay blocker. He's not really great. He's the worst of the three, but he can hold up at least. Whereas Mike Kosicki is essentially just a wide receiver. Yeah. I can't see any value of, of trading for a Mike Kosicki. They need their tight ends to block within this style of offense, and he's not going to be able to do that. I don't even really see him like making some kind of immediate impact. They don't really use any kind of big slot within this offense either. So rule him out completely for me. The Chiefs won't trade. I mean, the Bills won't trade Edmonds, so you can rule him out. My thing here is this. Look, I don't really feel like the Giants are in a position to trade draft picks right now with a new regime, especially seeing as how well these early rookies have acclimated to the new system. You see Dane Belton playing a lot of snaps, doing a good job with it. You see Dan Daniel Bellinger doing a good job with his snaps, doing an amazing job, I should say, with his snaps. And those are both day three guys. And they had some injuries that knocked out a couple other day three guys that we thought might be able to make an impact on this team, specifically um, Beavers, Darren Beavers. So I don't see them wanting to trade draft picks. It's a mat now where it gets interesting, and we'll talk about this a little later with a question I already peaked at, is could the Giants do a fresh start kind of trade, right? So now you have, here's Kadarius Tony. We can dangle him. We don't have to give up any draft picks. We just took him in the first round. All he needs is a fresh start. What will you give us for Kadarius Tony? All he needs is a fresh start. That's when it starts to get interesting. And that's when you start to look at players who also need a fresh start from the current team they're on. And so those are the that's the type of trade that I might be interested in, a fresh start type of trade. And we'll get to, there's one interesting one later that we'll get to that I, that I have my eye on. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this new water called liquid death? Because it will brutally murder your thirst, and the recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. I've tried liquid death, and I am still here. I'm not plastic nor am I thirsty anymore because my former parched state was quenched by the tart acidic taste of one of their flavors, severed lime. The lime became severed because it messed with another liquid death flavor, mango chainsaw, which combines real agave nectar with Leatherface to slice the uncomfortable drought festering in your oral cavity. Into berries and fruit, go six feet deep with a heartbeat with their sparkling flavor, bury it alive. If you love still or sparkling water, go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. Again, go get Liquid Death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. And then use the promo code BIGBLUE. That's liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. Really important to this team is this team is not going to just go out and, and trade for talented players. Like They have to be the person that Brian Dable and Joe Shane want right. in this building. I do think that's important. We've heard that in previous regimes. I really think that this regime is is adhering to that. And I think there are specific players that they want. And it really, I know it's a mantra and it's kind of overused, but I think they have to be tough, smart, and dependable. I think that's a, those are three characteristics that Joe Shane wants in every player that's going to be on this roster. Okay, Giant News 56 asks, what was the last Halloween costume each of you guys wore? 
Oh, geez. Okay. The last Halloween costume I wore, I think I went like maybe two or three years ago before the pandemic as the spirit of Halloween. And it was just me dressed like an absolute maniac with like face paint and, <laughs> and just like fishnet stockings up my arms and stuff like that. And yeah, I, I think that that's what I was. It was just something I came up with. I like originality. So, but this year I think I'm just doing whatever my girlfriend wants. I'm at that stage of the relationship now. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I this might come as a shock to no one who listens to this podcast, but I'm not a big fan of dressing up for Halloween. I used to do it when I was in college, but I can't remember the last time I did it after college. There was a couple parties early. I did like um one year with my buddy early in like the Breaking Bad days. I did like a Walter White Jesse type of situation with the with the hazmat suits on uh, those blue hazmat suits. That was I think that was the last one I remember doing. So that's probably the last one. If, if I do one, it'll be like a topical thing like that. Like I'll do like a TV show character type of deal. Would you be Tony Soprano? Not 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 quite big enough to be a Tony Soprano and I have that make any sense. Like, <laughs> I don't know. You don't always have to look like the, the costume that you want to be. Do, if I was going to do Sopranos, I'd be Hesh. <laughs> hash underrated character right there yeah. i wonder why you chose him dan <laughs> yeah, hash. um he also says is there a surprise player returning from injury who will make an impact over the rest of the season this is a great question this is a great question and the two guys who have been i think associated most with this question would probably be nick gates and shane lemieux right mm-hmm. and i'm trying to think of other guys who would constitute like is aaron robinson going to be back after his four games are up i think realistically hopefully that would be good i don't know how serious that knee injury is that was a really also dirty be surprise a surprise yeah i mean the surprise one would be nick gates right that's the biggest right. one i would say but i even think you can group shane lemieux into that remember when shane lemieux got hurt we're like oh how serious is it? you're gonna be ready for week one and we literally just haven't heard anything about this guy since right. but if i had to pick one surprise it would be nick gates who i think was out there taking snaps at least now he's i don't think he's ready to play quite yet but it's just cool to see him back on the football field yeah, he was taking center snaps today with Feliciano, like getting a breather, like kind of just limited. Um, so that's definitely great to see from Nick Gates. Nick Gates is the pick for sure here. Um, but you could, I mean, there are a lot of options here for the Giants. You could you could talk about Lemieux potentially shoring up that left guard spot. Ellerson Gates. Smith. Ellerson Smith is a great call by you. That would be a nice, nice surprise, a little pass rush juice at on different downs. And then obviously the big one here, which is not much of a surprise, but will really help if it happens, get Aries Tony. That's the, that's the one like that's, they said today, they didn't really even think about putting him. Dable said today on IR, which means they feel like he's closer than the four weeks. I still don't think he'll play before the bye week coming in two weeks. So that's two more games. I think he'll be out. Maybe it's just so hard to predict on the Tony front. It's all guesswork, Um, but that's the big one. The Tony one is frustrating just because you're right. It is all guesswork. When you think you're getting close, something else happens. And I feel bad for the kid. Just want to get him out there because I know how valuable he could be to this offense. But in terms of Ellerson Smith, man, look at how Wink Martindale has used the skill set of O'Shane Zimenez. Right. And now think what he could do in the same role, Ellerson Smith, that is in that role, who has just a little bit more juice than O'Shane. Probably isn't as strong at the point of attack, or at least he wasn't in the past. Maybe he's developed in that area. I'm not sure. But I really think you can do a lot of creative things with the athletic ability of some somebody like Ellerson Smith, and I'm looking forward to his return. Yep. We have Kurt, our friend Kurt asks, fellas, after breaking down defensive performance against the Ravens, are you guys more or less optimistic about the Giants' chances against the Eagles? Their rushing attack, plus legit studs at wide receiver, scares me, and I hate the Eagles, he says. Well, I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast hate the freaking Eagles, but I got to say this, Dan, I am I'm a little scared of the Eagles' rushing attack. Yeah, their rushing attack is going to be giving them massive pro- the Giants massive problems. 
you know, they've been beat earlier this season on deep overs as well. That's going to be a massive issue with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown at wide receiver. This is a terrible matchup for the Giants on the, on the defensive side of the ball. It's where you can finally see that, you know, well, week after week after week, the Giants have this coaching edge. It's kind of made up for some of the lack of talent. Well, that might not be the case against a team as talented on offensive side of the ball as the Eagles currently are. I mean, we're talking about elite offensive line, arguably the best in the NFL, probably the best in the NFL, the best tackle duo by far with Lane Johnson and Maialata. Now you have maybe the best wide receiver combo in the NFL, in my opinion, in A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. A few others can compete for that right, but I think it's those Chase two. Jason Higgins. Yeah, Jason Higgins, Higgins can compete for that right. I think right now, though, with Higgins hurt, you could probably say it's those two. Uh, you also have Dallas Goddard, one of the best tight ends, in my opinion, in the NFL. I really do feel that way watching him play. He's just freakishly athletic. And then Jalen Hurts, who's playing well, too. It's a really bad matchup. I think in that game, in those two games, Giants are going to have to probably open it up a little bit on offense to take a few more chances. I'm so curious to see how Wink Martindale plays Jalen Hurts. Yeah, because you're right. Look at look at what has hurt this defense so far this season. Lateral runs. The Eagles yep. can easily accomplish that just with their offensive line. Not to mention Alone, that offense. Yeah. You can have five man protections to to account for five guys coming on blitz because the offensive line is so good. Albeit they'll keep like an H back in and they'll keep Miles Sanders or Boston Scott or Kenny Gainwell into protection just to help shore up the the blitz protection. But at the same time, man, the deep overs have killed the Giants in yep. a few different matchups. You brought up Devonta Smith, you brought up AJ Brown, and then you have the tight end. Like look what Mark Andrews just did to the New York Giants. Dallas Goddard is fully capable of doing that. So I'm a little scared, but hopefully we'll uh, we'll see the defense shore up a little bit in the coming weeks. And by the time these two teams play each other, we can be a little bit more confident. Yep. Okay. TJ Gagliardi asks, bonus question, Nick, give me your top three comedians of all time. Dan, give me your top three bands. Top three comedians of all time. Okay. Bill Burr is going to be on that list. Okay. I'm, I'm really Number starting to one. get more. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I, it's so hard for me to actually say. I think Mark Norman would be squeaking in there. At least that's the, the phase that I'm in right now. Big Mark Norman fan, even though he's a younger comedian. And then I think if I had to choose a third, I'm going to go with, I think Tom Segura could be in there. there. There's a lot though. Like I don't like the whole top three because I, I have particular, like I could go with any single one of like my top 15. I have so much reverence and respect for a lot of those guys, but let's go with those three right now. Ask me tomorrow. I'd probably pick a, a different third one. And I really like Mark Norman, too. I, I've discovered him recently, started following him on Instagram. One thing I love about him, he follows the same Curb Your Enthusiasm Clips account that I follow on Instagram, and he literally likes every single one of those videos. He, it, I can tell he enjoys Curb just as much as I do. Yeah, Louis, there's just so many yeah. other guys that are flowing through my head right now. It's like Shane, Chappelle, Louis, Louis freaking yeah. Mitch Hedberg. You know, Hedberg. It could be any of them. Bands is tough. I'll go with, at start, my all-time favorite band. Shout out Ron Schneier, who... Had a fun, fun little discovery with this band. My dad played them for me when I was a kid throughout my whole life. But as a kid, I went through a phase of just liking two things, like like emo, screamo slash pop punk type phase, whatever that is, like Under Oath, uh, The Used, those types of bands when I was a teenager. And then I loved rap, Eminem, Big L, just to name a few, early Jay-Z, early Nas. But as I got older, I came to appreciate the actual amazing music. And that is the Allman Brothers, my favorite band of all time. Now, there are two, multiple errors of the Allman Brothers. The best error for me is pre-Dwayne's death. The Live at the Fillmore East album I've listened to over a thousand times on repeat. Watch Just listening to Dwayne and, and uh, Dickie Betts trade off licks there with the guitar. It's just some of the most phenomenal guitar play you can possibly hear. I think it, it literally is the best guitar play ever on a live album. That's Live at the Fillmore East. 
Uh, after Dwayne's death, they changed a little bit of their sound. They still had some bangers, though, some absolute bangers with with Dickie leading the way. So Alm Brothers won. Number two for me is My Morning Jacket. Shout out to My Morning Jacket. They're a living band. I've now seen them twice live. I really need to up that. Uh, once was at Red Rocks. Very similar type style to the Almond Brothers. Jammy in a lot of ways, a little bit. But they really mix it up. So they would be number two for me. Number three, I'd probably have to go with Led Zeppelin number three just because they're freaking phenomenal. Um, there are a lot of bands, like I said, Nick, that compete for them. And I do want to give a shout out to like, I'll, I'll say this. I'm going to expand the question real quick, TJ. I'm going to say favorite rapper of all time, Big L by far. I think he's the greatest rapper bar for bar of all time. Best punchlines, best flow. It's too bad. He was he was killed too early. Um, so Big L will be best rapper of all time from that genre. So I'll give you my favorite bands and my favorite rapper, and then we'll move it forward. No Red Hot Chili Peppers? Chili Peppers are up there too, Nick. See, this is why it's tough. Like, I want to throw in Chili Peppers, Arctic Monkeys, plenty of bands. Like, Stadium Arcadium, Chili Peppers, one of the best albums of all, double albums of all time, if not It's that. such a good album. I mean, I could talk Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, I'm not a big music yeah. guy, but Red Hot Chili Peppers is one of my favorite bands. Like, John Frusciante is yeah. my favorite musician of all time. Like, I listen to his solo stuff and it's weird and it's odd and it's out there but it's just essentially like poetry with music and he can't sing he kind of sounds like a dying cat but i absolutely love john brashanti i went through like a five-year phase of like that was the only thing i listened to and then i transitioned to just listening to the bo burnham who was a comedian a musical comedian so i have a really weird music taste but i absolutely love for shanti and i gotta say man stadium arcadium was great but i don't know like if you had to pick your favorite red hot chili peppers album that's not stadium arcadium what is it Cause it's like, Ooh, I'm up there with, by the way, and Cal, like <laughs> you can, like, I can bounce so many. I think California Cajun would be my number two. I like the newer stuff too. The newer stuff is good. Obviously it's not the classics, but the, the newer, not stuff loving the newer stuff as much. It's still good. I'm just not loving it as much. I want to hear their new album coming out though. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't, have not listened to that either. David either. Goodman asks a question. He says, uh, Daniel Jones, bringing him back on a two year deal that they can get out of that one. That could be, you know, a, a, something that the giants entertain. But do you think they should draft a developmental quarterback? It's kind of similar to the question that Dan already asked. And then he goes on and he says, like Anthony Richardson, with the theory that this is a better team than we thought and they won't be in the position to draft the top five guy. That's if Anthony Richardson comes out, of course. Yeah, that's a great question. I think Anthony Richardson might end up staying. But like I said earlier, if they, if they, I trust the staff fully. If they feel like they can draft a toolsy quarterback who they can groom, kind of like they groomed Josh Allen in the past, I'm fine with them trying to do that. This is a question the Gi that Giants sideline asks. Let's say the Giants extend Dexter Lawrence this offseason. Does that wash out his fifth-year option on his rookie deal, or does the new deal kick in after his fifth-year option? I don't know this for sure. I'm not, I'm not the best with contract stuff, but I think it will wash out the fifth-year option, and then they can kind of play it any way they want. Um, they can have a low cap it for year one, a regular cap it, or they could have a front-loaded to that, to, to the earlier in the contract. So it will allow them cap flexibility. And that's one of the the primary reasons that, and just to lock the player up to right. not allow them to go to free agency, obviously, that you do extend players early. Matt Dubois asks, what would you be interested in trading for Jerry Judy? So this is what this is what I was talking about earlier. If there's a fresh start type trade, because if you look at the metrics this year, Judy is getting open consistently. And he actually has the the third lowest catchable target rate in the NFL right now. That's how bad Russell Wilson has been in that entire offense. So if you tell me right now, fresh start trade, Kadarius Tony for, for Jerry Judy, I might sit here and I might accept that. Oh, I would definitely accept yeah. that. Yeah. Absolutely. Judy can be frustrating from a drop standpoint, but dating back to his days at Alabama, that he was one of those Alabama route runners, like a Mamari right. Cooper who were just like, 
he's silly when you watch videos of him cutting on a dime and running routes. He's absolutely crazy in that manner. So I would love to bring him into New York. Yeah. And that's kind of how the Giants should be thinking about it. Dangling Tony instead of the draft picks, at least as far as I'm concerned. Okay. <laughs> Will asks, who won more in poker, Clarence Royce or the executive game? I'm going <laughs> to imagine that this question is more tailored to you, Dan. Yeah, it's a shout out, Will, to reference to The Wire. Um, there's like a game with Royce Clarence, who was the mayor at one point in Baltimore. Um, and they thought like he was, uh, being bankrolled by the, by his, by like illegal campaign funding. Um, so I guess, so Will's trying to say like, did the game win more or did Clarence Royce win more? Was he actually winning or was the game winning? Uh, I'll go with, I'll go with, uh, the game one on that one. And he was, you know, doing some nefarious things, but he also asked on a Giants related note, what were previous coaching staffs doing wrong with O'Shane Zimenez besides not rhyming the GM's name with him? <laughs> and then is this regime as, uh, and what has this regime been doing right with him? So in terms of doing wrong, I think a lot of it was just, he was injured a lot. And that, yeah. that was like his rookie season wasn't that bad. And he was injured the last two years. And I do think there were times where they would put his hand in the dirt as like, not necessarily a five technique, but a little bit off wide and he would get washed a little bit too often. Some of that is the fact that he was coming from a smaller school and he didn't necessarily have the the build to, to anchor down. But I think what they're doing with him now is they're using him in a variety of different ways and just on the edge in terms of dropping him into coverage and sending him. And I think he has progressed his own game to become stronger at the point of attack in terms of just setting the edge, which we ended up seeing on that Mark Andrews play, that negative one yard rush by JK Dobbins in the second Ravens drive where they ended up missing the field goal. So just how Wink Martindale is using him, I just think it's in a more creative fashion and a more broad fashion to yes. allow him to use his athletic ability and his ability to operate in space, which isn't something that we necessarily saw too often in Patrick Graham's system. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's a less traditional role and he's doing a lot better with that. Um, let's move to Jake Andrews, who says, what would you say that Dexter Lawrence is the JPP of defensive tackles? So for those who don't know, during the Jerry Reese tenure, he drafted a tight end called Adrian Robinson. Um, who then he referred to as the Jason Pierre-Paul tight ends. Robinson never went on to make any impact in the NFL. Yeah, that was a, I remember that. That became a running joke during the Jerry yeah. Reese era. And Dexter Lawrence was a first-round pick, so I think this is just like a fun question that doesn't really need analysis. He's JPP, a defensive tackle. He's just a stud defensive tackle. We'll go with that. Yeah, but I do understand what he's saying. Like this guy is an athletic freak at this point. To be able to move the way he does at 340, it's pretty it's pretty absurd. So, I like it. It's mostly a joke, but I like it. Uh he also asked, "What's your best position? What was your best position or functional equivalent when you guys used to play schoolyard football?" For me, it was wide receiver. I was um so I I played like a in adult football leagues and stuff like that, like flag football leagues, and then when I would also when I got out of the Marines, I would play in like Facebook leagues where like, I didn't know any of the guys, but I would just join like this Facebook group and I would end up showing up to the park and just playing with them. And I made a couple like friends through and everything like that. <laughs> it was pretty physical, man. Like I could not do it now. Like I would get destroyed because my knees are just not as good, but I was always a wide receiver and I don't want to my own horn, but I was, uh, I was pretty fast and I, I would always go in. I was usually the last pick uh, in the first day and then the next game, I would always be like the first or second pick. So nice. just pat myself on the back there. But it was a, it was a fun time. <laughs> I won't pat myself on the back because I am a five foot eight Jew and I'm not very athletic whatsoever. I'm good at I'm pretty I'm better at sports than I would seem to be, especially basketball and tennis. Um, but as far as football goes, I played a little bit of quarterback. Um, I had 
pretty decent ball placement, horrific arm talent, and kind of like a Taylor Heineke. I could run around and then kind of put a ball in a spot, but there would be a lot of interceptions. Couldn't really throw to any levels of the feet, different levels, deep levels of the field. So Taylor Heineke, a a poor man's Taylor Heineke when I was, and I, and early in my life, I love quarterback. I love football. So I named myself QB Dan. My first screen name on aim was QB Dan (laughs) seven. That's my my, uh, screen name. So the weird thing is we actually had a phase in my friend group during like the last two years of high school and the first two years of college, like during when we were home from college, where we would play legit tackle football on a field. It was unbelievable. No pads, no helmets. We just played tackle football. And we would have this rivalry with uh, my best friend of mine. For, uh, shout out Gary Levine from Livingston. Him and his Livingston crew versus us and our West Orange crew. Um, a bunch of unathletic dudes playing tackle football. And there were multiple concussions that went undocumented and un, you know determined. One was Gary, my friend, getting slammed to the ground on a sack versus Kevin. And he was just motionless there for a few minutes there or a few seconds there, i should say it was not a pretty sight there were injuries my friend jordan like broke his foot playing foot this tackle game one of the dumbest ideas ever that we continued on tackle football on like basically a turf field i think it was the the high school field the soccer field with no pads but i was never any good really i i, I was an okay to bad quarterback and i and i and i think i was in position and de- on defense so i'll give myself that yeah, the tackle football was. I, I look back to my early twenties and I'm like, I can't believe I did that so often. And I was no always pads, with no pads, and like, and I would witness like such bad injuries, dude. Like yeah. people like tear their ACL, roll their ankle. Yeah. Like we would play with like Division three guys in these little pickup football leagues that were started on Facebook, and they would get hurt. And I'm like, why are you, you play Division three football? Like, why are you out here playing with a bunch of schmucks that you know from Facebook? It was <laughs> kind of wild, but I, they were. They were so much fun, man. I, I had a blast. And I'm the kind of guy, Dan, you know me. You've played video games with me and stuff like that, where I don't talk any crap at all. I just go out there. I don't say a freaking word. I'm like quiet as a mouse when I'm playing sports, man. But I would love one day to play basketball against you because I can just imagine you talking crap and being like really annoying on defense. I'm imagining in basketball, you're just the most annoying defender to go up against. No, I'm not. I, that would, I, there are annoying defenders. I'm not really one of those annoying defenders. And I don't really talk. I don't crap. mean, but I don't really mean by mouth. I'm talking more yeah, no, of just like, about, like effort fouling. and just yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I, I I'm high effort, but I don't foul. I know a lot of defenders who like have the fouling style where they basically use their body and they're just like, ah, let's pick up. No one's gonna call it. I'm not really that, so I don't have that. But I will say this: as far as you saying that you're not a talker when it comes to competition, Nick, I think you are a talker. You're not a you're not a crap oh, okay. talker, but you are the person who, if anything remotely unlucky happens to you in a game, oh, yeah. you'll let everyone know about it and you'll call it luck and you'll say you're only losing because of luck. You'll insinuate your own, or should say, you're insinuate you're only losing because of luck, and it's very hundred percent accurate. Blake and someone who's blaming luck the whole time. But Dan, you're the same exact way. You're the I same. Only, exact I feel that because of you. I do that because of you. Oh, I, have counter, I have to counter your <laughs> your BS whenever. So anyway, we don't need to get into this right now. We can calm it down here. But I just wanted to say you are not some quiet mouse when you're playing games, video games. This is the, I was. I'm not talking about video games. Video games, you're <laughs> you're a hundred percent accurate. I'm talking about physical sports where there is yeah, no yeah, luck. Okay. There, you can't yeah. blame luck when you drop a pass or you're running routes and getting tackled. Like that's just like you know. <laughs> Man on man, but I gotta say, this is the straight Spider-Man meme right now. You and I pointing at each other. We do that <laughs> same exact stuff to each other. Well, the next question is one that you you can only answer. I I will not be capable of answering this one. Rohan asks, "I'm almost a vegan. What's your favorite mock meat dish?" So I, Rohan, have never had a mock meat dish in my entire life, so I can't answer this question. Maybe Nick has. I feel I feel like Nick, you've got to had a mock meat dish. I've definitely had mock meat yeah. before, but I I don't know any of their names. <laughs> 
I don't, I'm, I'm actually curious on what a mock meat dish is. I'm tip. I'm not a vegan. Like I love meat. So yeah, I, I've just had it from, from like the past. Like if my girlfriend was like, Hey, like, all right, yeah, I guess I'll eat it. And then like, it tastes just like meat. And I'm like, no, it doesn't <laughs> at all, but whatever, like more power to you do your thing. I usually just put the sauce on it and then it ends up tasting okay. And it did grow on me when I was in my early twenties. I, I, would eat some crumbled meat. I can't remember exactly what it was and it was frozen and then you heat it up. And at first I'm like, oh, this is gross. But then as you eat more of it, it ended up growing on you a little bit, but it's never the real thing. It's not crumbled, as, not as crumbled frozen meat. You could have probably <laughs> sold that worse to me. I would eat well, crumbled I mean, frozen meat. That's it is what it is. But Dan, I got to say this, man. I've This isn't the first time that I've said something would grow on you. Remember, Dan, when I gave you the uh, casein dessert Oh, that is bed. a great point by you. That is a great call by you. That is <laughs> Nick once gave me a take when I was uh, when I was actually in shape and caring about myself and I was lifting weights. He would say you should try to have like a casein uh, shake before you go to sleep, like late at night to kind of give yourself that extra protein that that it's a slow breaking down protein overnight. People who know have lifted weights, know casein. But he would say at first I would I would eat and I would report back to him and I'd be like, this 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 sucks. I can't believe and he, for him it's like this is my treat of the day. Like I'm looking forward to it. I get to make this casein shake. But I will say this, it grew on me completely. I ended up loving it. But the thing is, you have to make sure you do it a certain way. You have to use only a little bit of water. So it's basically like a pudding, like a cakey pudding type thing. Well, not not cakey, it's like a pudding. But if you do too much water and it becomes like a, a watery shake, then it sucks. But if you have the right amount of water, you, you get really good at finding you, you get really good ultimately when you do this every night at figuring out the right amount of water to use. And then I showed him something, too, because I told him one day you can make like a hot chocolate casein type of treat. And it's not bad. That's another way to go about it. So that is true. And it can ruin your night if you screw the consistency uh, yep. up because you have to just eat it. You can't just throw it away. That's no, a lot of money right. right there. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to throw it away, but the consistency is everything. It needs to be the pudding, <laughs> not the watery kind. So we've gone off the rails on this mailback. We're having a lot of fun with it. Hopefully you guys are enjoying these ridiculous takes. But we also have one from Lucas Mansour who asks, it seems like every season, regardless of the coaching staff, the Giants are plagued by injuries. Should Joe Shane consider replacing our training and medical staff, or are we just cursed? I don't know if it's cursed. I think it's just bad luck, and I think football is a very – yeah very just physical game. I think a lot of teams go through injuries. It does seem like the giants have had a lot of injuries. I will say that, but I'm also really close with this team. I'm sure the chargers fans and other right. fans would, would say the same thing. I don't think I would never advocate to fire the training staff that it's been there in place for quite some time and has tons of respect. So no, I would not go in that direction. I just think it's football and injuries happen. Yeah, me too. They have been like, the, but prior to this year, they were, I think, like the most injured team since 2019 in that span. So it is something to the Giants potentially being more injured than other teams. Um, I wonder if MetLife factors into that. I like MetLife could factor in, though. We've said this before, and then people have come back at us like there's no data that suggests the MetLife turf is actually leading to injuries. So, I mean, the data doesn't support that. Um, I think you could also look at past GMs and say that, you know, they could be drafting injury prone players potentially because that was never a like with Jerry Reese. He never really worried too much about the injury history Had tons of picks that were that had injury histories that didn't work out. Same thing really for Gettleman at times. He wasn't really too keen on factoring in the injury, the injury situation, um, especially for like a Kadarius Tony type who was injured most of his career at Florida. So it's also the players you draft, but it, I think it's just mostly luck is what it comes down to. And also, Joe Shane is averse to drafting injured sure. players. And look at Darian Beavers, Marcus McKethan, DJ Davidson. A lot of the guys are already dumped. Yeah, and they already season. got hurt. Right. Exactly. So it's it's some bad luck. And also, I'll say this, and I, I think you're 100% right. 
Dan, the Giants are injured, but the Giants have also been terrible and have been out of it. And I think that kind of leads to some guys who maybe could have rehabbed and come back, maybe just mailing it in. And that's not a knock on them. It's just like, why risk it for a team that has two wins in, in December, you know? Right. Yep. Great point. Okay, TJ Gagliotto also asked, what is, or he says, what is one thing you know now that you wish you knew when you were younger? It can be anything. Dan, you want to tackle this one first? This is a deep question, man. I didn't look at these questions. We don't look at these questions beforehand, and this is deep. So yeah, I we never to, uh... look at it. It's all freestyle. So it might not be our best answers, but I'll start by saying, uh, I wish I knew I should buy Apple stock. <laughs> no, that's the easy one, right? You just buy the <laughs> stock. I'll say this one thing I wish I knew when I was younger that I know now is, be yourself and enjoy being yourself and enjoy liking the things in like that in life that you like. Don't worry so much about what other people think is cool, about what other people think you should be doing with your life, with your time. Because guess what? When you decide to do the things that you enjoy doing with your time, you're not hurting anyone. You're probably helping people because you're probably doing those things with people who enjoy them too. And you're making their life better as they make your life better. And the only thing you lose is social like social consequence, right? Like, oh, this is not a cool thing to do, or you should be doing this. You should be doing that. So I would say one thing I've learned that when I was, when I was younger, this mattered more to me, what other people thought of me and these were in this regard and just like doing things that were quote unquote, you know, to be cool or whatever, um, or to be like a uh, popular, <laughs> popular. I don't even know. That's not the right word. I never, never tried to be popular, but just like things that are suggested to you or the things that people expect of you. So I would just say, be yourself and try to do the things that you enjoy. I think that's a great one. It's probably the number one one. Yeah. I would also say enjoy the little things a little yes. bit. And also just like little things like time with your grandparents and stuff like that, which I tried to do as I was entering my 20s. But when, when you're in your, like your late teens and your early 20s, yeah. you kind of like neglect that. And then they're, they're sure. gone. And it's like, ah, oh, shit, there's no getting that back. So I would just say enjoy the little things with the people who are most important to you. Yeah, that's a great point as well. Okay. Deep question there from TJ Gagliardi. We'll go back into some Giants questions here. Nico recent asks, I got three. One, are the Giants sellers or buyers? Two, what have you seen on film from a progressive standpoint? Uh, or from what you've seen on film, who would you predict to have the most impact to come this season that hasn't had it yet? And then with Kafka in the booth, how is the communication between the quarterback and offensive coordinator aside from the play calling? Uh, let's tackle the first one. Are the Giants sellers or buyers in two weeks? I think they could sell Kadarius Tony. That seems like it's starting to gain a little steam, but I don't know if that makes them sellers. And I think if the right deal were to come, they would be buyers, but I don't think we should slap labels on it. I think Joe Shane is just going to look at every situation independently. So I'm, I'm not going to really say they're sellers or buyers. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, what you've seen on film, who would you predict to have the most? Okay, that's an interesting one. Um, yeah, the best so impact. Yeah, like it's basically like who's been kind of sneaky good on film that hasn't broken out yet type of question. Okay, um, so last year would have been somebody like a Dexter Lawrence. Like Julian Love, I feel like constitutes for this question, right? But like he just really had a huge breakout game. So I think going with someone like Julian Love makes sense. You would hope Evan Neal would be grouped into this. I would hope when Aziz Ojolari comes back, he seems to be a guy that we're somewhat forgetting about because Dexter Lawrence is playing so well and Kayvon Thibodeau is playing so well. So those are names that I, that I want to kind of throw out there. But I think if I had to choose one, it would be Julian Love, who is in a contract here, who is also a special teams captain on this team who consistently makes plays. Some of them aren't as important on the stat sheet, but they're huge to the Giants winning football games. So I think Love is, is the choice for me. That's an interesting question. Um... Because like someone like Love, I'm not sure he's going to be too like 
stuff the stat sheet or in that regard. But I kind of agree with you. He's going to make even more big plays, as we saw in this last game against the Ravens, where he made multiple game-changing plays. So that's a good call. I'll go with uh, a kind of somebody who I've liked what I've seen on film, but hasn't made a huge impact yet, and that would be Tanner Hudson. I think there's going to be situations coming up this season where Tanner Hudson makes a big catch or gets open on a key down and makes a catch um, just because I really like how he's separated on tape and I really like his movement skills and his lateral agility. Uh, So I would go with Hudson. And I think there are two at the respective positions that we chose that can also kind of be grouped in here. And Daniel Bellinger, because Daniel Bellinger, Giant fans love him because Giant fans see but he doesn't really have the national type of recognition. Now you're starting to hear on like fantasy podcasts being like, well, this rookie Daniel Bellinger is pretty good. But the way the giants are using him, he could truly break out and be like a, one of the tight ends in like fantasy football that you want to own just because his snap share is going up and he's so used in the red zone and he's such a pivotal blocker for the New York giants. So he's always on the field. So I think Daniel Bellinger can be grouped in there. And then I think Dane Belton can be grouped in there because Dane Belton, he's, he plays a lot of snaps. Wink Martindale wants him out there, and I think he's going to come away with an interception soon because he positions himself well on the football field. And the way he just even passed off the Patrick Ricard route and then sank underneath Mark Andrews on the one play in the red zone that went off of his hands, that could have easily have been an interception on Lamar Jackson. And I think plays like that, which we saw all throughout his Iowa tape, right? I think they're going to start coming away with turnovers. And I think Dane Belton is a name that we should pay attention to relative to this question that was asked. That's a great one. As far as the communication between the quarterback and the offensive coordinator, uh, I would imagine that you, I don't really know the ins and outs of it, but I would imagine that there's like a two prong process where Kafka can call down to Daniel Jones in between yeah, he has, series. He has yeah. a radio in, in the helmet. Daniel Jones has the communication with Kafka right. from the booth and he tells him what plays to run. And that's one of the reasons, the primary reason why when they're in Wildcat, you have Daniel Jones outside of the numbers just right. taking away. Uh, receive. But again, man, I want Daniel Jones to have a, like, it would be awesome for Daniel Jones to have a touchdown pass where like the cornerback doesn't really pay attention. Like the, the Giants go into a wildcat. Saquon Barkley runs to the Daniel Jones side. That cornerback pays attention to Saquon Barkley because he's Saquon Barkley. And then Saquon Barkley throws it over the cornerback's yeah. head in like a cover one type of situation. Daniel Jones gets a touchdown reception. Wouldn't that be something? That would be something. All right. We'll finish this off with a little rapid fire fun ones from Jake Andrews first. And you could just go yes, no. And if you want to expand on them, you can, Nick. Does sour cream belong in chili? Yes. If you want to put anything in chili, you want to put chips in chili, do your thing, man. Be you. Okay. Do you dip the wings or just the celery? You could dip the wings and the celery. Yeah, no, man. But do just you. These are questions for you. Nick. Oh, oh yes. yes. So do I dip the wings or just the celery? I don't really have wings too often, but I would dip both if I when I do. What about you? I'll answer all these after. Okay. Cheese okay. on or in a hot dog? Hmm. So if I were to eat a hot dog, I think you can put both. I think I think both fit. If you're going to That's eat cheese at a hot dog, Nick. Yeah. Um. So actually, I didn't have one long ago. So I went to Portillo, Portillo's is a, is a huge oh, yeah. place in Chicago, Illinois, right? And for whatever reason, they have three shops out here in the valley, and one of them is in Avondale, a town right next to where I live. So I was just like driving through the area, and I was like, I've heard so much about Portillo's. Let me go and get a hot dog. And I actually went. I got a hot dog and had fuck freaking tomatoes and a pickle on it. It was yeah. weird. And I got to say it, it was pretty, it was pretty good. I liked it. So that was the last, but before that it, it's been years. I have no idea. Portillo's beef is where it's at. Next time you go there. I think I, I, I got, I got the beef. I got yeah. the beef too. Uh, Diana ended up getting, getting a, or I ended up getting a, so she got like the sandwich, the beef sandwich. Yeah. I ended up getting it just in a, in a tray. It was just beef nice. in a tray. And I felt think? like a dog eating it. I thought it was good. Yeah, it yeah. was good. Yeah, Sausage was better in my opinion though. 
Okay. Okay. Um, and then hot sauce on a pizza. Do you do hot sauce on your pizza ever? I don't. I'm a huge hot sauce fan. So I love hot sauce, but hot sauce on pizza is not something that I tried. Is hot pastrami grilled or microwaved? Ew. I think grilled. Yeah, I think it has to be. Disgusting. Carrots and Chinese food. Will you eat them or just pick around them? No, I'll eat the carrots and Chinese yeah. food. Yeah. And have you ever had good chicken tenders at a stadium? <laughs> I don't think I've really ever had chicken tenders at a stadium, so I, I don't know. Are they All good, right. though? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'll go. I'll, I'll answer these. Sour cream, yeah. not in my chili. I'm not a sour cream guy at all. I will dip the wings if it's blue cheese, not if it's ranch. Cheese in a hot dog? No, but cheese in a brat? Yes. Hot sauce on pizza? I've never had that, but I like hot sauce. Maybe I should try that. Hot pastrami? Definitely grilled. I think one of my strong takes is microwaving is disgusting and ruins everything. I'd rather eat cold Chinese or cold pizza than microwave. Ch- not Chinese, but microwave pizza. I don't like microwave. I think it sucks. It, it just, just it takes the crisp out of every food you can ever eat. Uh, carrots and Chinese food? I'll eat them. Sure. They, they're drenched in all that sauce, whatever. But I'm not a big fan of Chinese food either, I'll be honest. Even though I live in the in the only area where it's even feasible, like New York, New Jersey area, in my opinion, at least. Look, I had Chinese... Freshman year of college, me and shout out my friend Mike Collins, we tried five different Chinese places in Madison, Wisconsin, the first five Sunday football Sundays. We would watch football and then and eat Chinese food all five times. They were miserably bad. He threw up two of those five times. And yeah, that's how bad this Chinese food was outside. Maybe it's gotten better out there, but, you know, can't really eat Chinese food off the coasts. I'm, it would be my but I don't really like Chinese food. I prefer Thai over Chinese food. I'm a the big West fan Coast. of quality of meat when I'm eating like. The West Coast is pretty good with with Chinese yeah. food. Coast, it's not that great out here. It's not that great out here, but I went to a Vietnamese place out here, which yeah. was really good. So, like, we found some good Vietnamese places in the valley. But Chinese food, I haven't tried sushi yet, though. This is a landlocked state, even yeah. though people. Yeah, I wouldn't go sushi in Arizona, probably, but maybe. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, gonna try it one time. If you come out here, Dan, maybe maybe we'll yeah. go. I've heard of some good places from people who aren't from like Arizona, so maybe maybe they are good. Sure. Um, and then chicken tenders at the stadium. Nah, I don't really go for the chicken tenders ever. Uh, I, I like like try, trying to get something, some of the other foods. But um, thank you for all the questions, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. It's the Big Blue Banter Podcast. It's the mailbag. You'll be hearing this over the weekend, most likely. Or if you watch on YouTube, thank you for liking, subscribing, all that good stuff. Otherwise, have a great rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you soon, and let's get to 6-1, and one, baby. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.